Hi guys, thanks for tuning into Ballistic Strength Radio. Just want to let you guys know, give you a heads up here that we have a kettlebell competition coming up September 10th. That's the Sunday um, here in Nanaimo, uh, British Columbia. Uh, it's going to be held at Island Optimal Health and Performance Center down on Dufferin Street. Uh, registration will be open soon, but not quite yet. We haven't got the website completely up and running. But uh, when it is, we will give you guys a heads up through social media and all the usual channels. If you happen to have any questions, please just give me a shout. You can contact me at ballisticstrengthnanaimo at gmail.com. This particular event is going to be uh, held somewhat in partnership with the local weightlifting club, the Hercules uh, Weightlifting Olympic Weightlifting Club here in Nanaimo. They're going to be having their Island Invitational Olympic Weightlifting Championship on the Saturday, and we'll be having our competition on the Sunday at the same location. We'll have a number of sponsors. Uh, we're going to have prizes for top podium spots, and we're going to, tr- going to try and make it a real fun event. So please make sure you mark that on your calendar and uh, give me a shout if you happen to have any questions. That's it for updates, guys, and stay tuned for the following podcast. Okay, so um, I totally forget which number podcast this is. I'll have to go back and double check that. I have no idea what number this one is. But um, I want to thank Raf Korkowski and Mira Korkowski for joining me today on the program. Uh, I want to be as specific as possible today. So just to be clear, to, it's this particular episode is not going to be what's kind of the generally best way to train an athlete from, say, a beginning stage to... Uh, you know, beyond that. It's specifically talking about drills and specifically talking about things like, now I'm just using uh, in the outline that I sent you, um, can you improve the snatch by just performing snatches? But we can also go into clean and jerk and stuff like that too. But it's specifically breaking down the movement um, for the individual based on what they need at the time. Um, So what (laughs) what do you guys think of that? No, that's yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, in a complex sport like Olympic weightlifting, um, there's definitely a ton, a ton of uh, small details to pay attention to. Um, we have a huge arsenal of exercises, uh, both the full lifts and the breakdown of the lifts, to focus on different elements and phases of the lifts themselves. Um, so, when is it appropriate that. to start breaking down the lifts? Um. You know, it, it really depends, uh, I guess, first and foremost, um, as to which athlete or which group you're, you're working with, uh, what their experience is, what their background is, and how new to Olympic weightlifting there is, uh, they are. Um, you know, you do an assessment of the athlete, and then you, it kind of dictates uh, whether you're uh, going to be fine-tuning different elements of their, you know, existing skill sets, or whether you're basically starting from scratch and uh, trying to simplify it to the lowest level and, uh, and develop a base and foundation going forward. Okay, Mirik, do you have anything to add? Well, basically, uh, can you improve at snatch by just performing the snatch? The answer, the simple short answer would be yes. Can you reach the max performance in the snatch by performing just the snatch? The answer would be not likely. So there's a technical, physical, and psychological component into developing the maximum performance for the exercise. Performing the snatch only or targeting the technical, a little bit of psychology. But the physical part is not going to be fully 
developed. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I send you guys uh, in the outline, um, you maybe or maybe not you're familiar with the breakdown that I sent you, but I just kind of picked that as an example out of uh, a relatively popular Olympic weightlifting book. Um, do you guys... So I'll actually read it off. So basic pulling technique, and this is for the snatch. Um, it lists seven different ones. Start position, lift off, scoop, jump phase, pull under, catch, and recovery. Do you guys think of the snatch that way, or do you think of it, of it even simpler? Do you relay it as all these different components to your trainees, or how do you kind of think of it? Well, basically, we base our analysis on the analyzing the movement uh, from the joint movement point of view and the muscular contraction point of view. So our breakdown is similar, it's not identical. So for example, starting position is a static part. The first part of the pool involves certain joints that are acting and then we are passing the knee, there's a little face that has different muscle contraction and joint action and then we go into the what we call the second pull or explosive part of the lift. So the breakdown is slightly different than what you send us. Then uh, you follow up with the pulling action to reach the full extension, you drop under the bar, and then you basically catch the weight with the locked arms and you recover. So those three parts at the end are identical. Mm-hmm. Raph, anything to add? Yeah, and then just again, uh, you know, as we're introducing um, the full phases of the pulling technique from one to seven or however you break it down to a new athlete, um, we'll tend not to, you know, deliver all seven at once. Uh, It's, again, it's just a a complex movement from start to finish. So we want to break it down and focus on maybe one or two areas at a time um, and hence the introduction of, you know, simplified exercises um, such as lifts from the hang, uh, power snatches, um, that eliminate maybe the drop under the bar phase uh, to a full squat, but also uh, remove static starting position, first pull. So you kind of use breakdowns of those lifts, lifts to allow uh, practice, but allow uh, focus on you know one or two. Do you have any examples of your current lifters right now who maybe you have focusing on different parts of the lift and why? Well, the focus uh, would relate to the advancement of the athlete. So in an early stage, you're focusing on major parts of the lift, which would be the bend over, the starting position, the full extension. When you go into more advanced uh, type of analysis, you go into smaller and smaller details. So the application of the bend over, how fast do you extend, how fast do you act with a particular muscle group when you need it, becomes the key component of the successful lift. So just yeah, to build on that, um, I mean, you're, you're fairly familiar with, with kind of our, our diversity of our club, um, but we do have athletes that are, you know, within their first couple months of training with us, and we've got athletes that are now um, at the Nanaimo location um, coming up on two years of training with us. Um, so really the, the, the details and um, the exercise selection, the focus, um, like my dad just said, um, varies depend on, depending on what exposure and what practice and repetition that athlete has already been performing. Um, so, you know, the new lifters will be ensuring that the static starting position is mastered before they get into more complex um, a combination of starting position into first pull into extension as a complex, you know, full snatch from the floor all the way through. Um, they'll be focusing more on lifts from the hang, 
um, that allow them to practice, like my dad said, again, the bend over position, the timing, the coordination of the jump, uh, and the extension of their pull. So big, large, and important key components of the lifts themselves. Um, whereas the, the more advanced athletes are now focusing on fine tuning. So, you know, are their hips going through a full range of motion? Um, is the bar path efficient, you know, relative to their, to their body throughout all phases of the lift? Um, you know, one of the things that we've just adjusted in the last couple of weeks are the kind of snatch pulls that our athletes are doing. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, we implemented was a more dynamic jump inclusive snatch pull. Um, however, you know, the reaction from the athletes was that their tendency started to bring the chest towards the bar as opposed to get that extension through. So once again, we called an audible and changed them back into a more controlled extension based snatch pull. Um, so those are fine details where, you know, you see the bar path and the body action relative to the exercise being performed. Uh, and you have to keep adjusting those kinds of, um, uh, on the fly, uh, exercises with the athletes that you're working with. Now, it's interesting that um, it's really good that you have that sort of interactivity in the workout itself where you can kind of change things on the go depending on how uh, they're going. Um, But that actually brings up an interesting thing that I read not too long ago where some coaches or gyms will uh, institute a certain type of training where you'll have someone do something, do the movement purposely wrong in order to further their improvement i would imagine this would be more applicable in beginning stages for the person for the person who's maybe positionally um challenged rather than say it being an issue with their speed or their extension excuse me so have you ever heard of that uh method before teaching someone to do the lift slightly improperly in order so that they figure out the better way to do it there's many ways to interact with the athletes, but uh, in our case, no, we do not use that type of strategy. We try to break down the lift into the phases and right from the start, implement the proper positioning, the correct movements and uh, the muscular, neuromuscular pattern so the athlete doesn't have to struggle for the rest of the career. And so all just all, for... All depends. Just for practicing that start position, do you guys um, get them to go through that from the floor up to the knee a lot or and or do you have them do a lot of good mornings just for uh, maintaining that static spinal position? Is that just a case by case basis or or is that phased in automatically? In the initial education, we do go through the steps of uh, positioning the feet, setting the back, bending over, placing the hips and knees in the proper position. In most cases, two or three sessions are adequate. Sometimes we have to step back through the, you know, through the months uh, in the future and reinforce. But uh, we always implement type of good mornings or pulling to reinforce those movements. And even with the advanced athletes, as we progress uh, towards the season, they enter the competitive season, they focus on full lifts. When we transition and come back from the rest, then we do reinforce those positions for a short while again. So it's an ongoing process of refining and strengthening those uh, 
critical body positions or parts of the leg that you mm-hmm. wish. Mm-hmm. So do you think of implementing maybe some of these broken down uh, drills uh, on more of a seasonable, seasonal aspect as opposed to a workout-to-workout aspect? Such as, are they just always in there for the first part of the season and then you phase them out and f- focus on just the full lifts? Or do you have a session-to-session goal in mind of, I want our uh, guys to do this many of these drills and this many of these drills so that we can um, make sure they're hitting those positions or getting full extension, et cetera, et cetera. I I think that, you know, when you're working with athletes, you're always uh, long-term planning, especially for those that are looking towards development and not just trying to sport out and trying to kind of peak their performance within the first couple of weeks. Um, There's a lot of basic exercises kind of going back to your point as to, uh, you know, do you let athletes fail? Well, at the beginning for the athletes, the objective isn't to master everything all at once. You take a beginner, you give them a couple core uh, points to focus on. You know, for a newer lifter, it would be the position over the bar, making sure the chest is nice and, and tight and all those kinds of things that are applicable to almost um every exercise that you perform in Olympic weightlifting. Um, is the bar going to swing out? Likely. Are their jumps going to be super coordinated? Probably not. But you don't want to pick apart all those micro details uh, all at once. You kind of have an objective earlier on for the main sessions for the first few weeks to get those core competencies developed. Um, even once they're developed and mastered, we still come around in cycles and, and refine them. Um, for advanced lifters that are um, you know, technically um, ahead and have gone through all the, all the years of training there, um, when we look at an annual uh, plan, we've got, uh, we've got our loading periods, we've got our high technical periods where we are doing competition preparation. And after that finishes up, we go through an unloading period where we again uh, revisit um, all the supplementary exercises, positioning exercises, and uh, again, allow the muscles to, to build some memory around um, the learning there again, um, prepare the athletes, kind of an active rest period, but allows us to kind of revisit all those basics, I'll call them, um, that we would look, look uh, at implementing with beginner athletes as well. So are you, when you take some of those supplementary exercises out, is that in an effort to shift some of the volume over to the full lifts when you're practicing those? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're, uh, any given athlete has, uh, has a capacity to their tank. So depending on where they are with their goals and objectives, if they have a competition coming up, well, you probably want to do competition preparation. That's where you're going to, um, uh, focus your effort, uh, into doing more technical lifts, more something similar that they'll experience in the competition. Um, if you're two weeks before a competition, you're likely not going to be learning basics or building strength because those aren't key objectives for that period um you'll instead like you said specialize more in competition preparation doing the full lifts uh when you've got the time then you re uh, after the competition again in in the appropriate um period or phase you would then implement a program and applicable volumes and intensities that allow you to again focus on positioning maybe strength building maybe flexibility whatever the objective for that group or athlete is um, to allow that effort again to be focused properly for that applicable time period. Okay. But as a coach, you have to have a very clear objective for each session, each week, each season, and each even like an Olympic cycle, four-year cycle. You have to know exactly where you're taking the person on a journey, right? Well, you know, you, you kind of think about it as a, at any level. Um, you've got a beginner athlete. If their goal is to compete at all, 
then at some point in time, you're going to be planning to prepare for a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be six months away. That might be you know a year away. Whatever it is, there, you now have a goal. And you start to implement a plan towards that goal. Um, if you have the time, then the first part of that plan is going to be learning. Um, then it's going to be kind of make, becoming proficient with the technique. And once that all happens, then you can start implementing more strength. Because for most beginners, strength isn't the issue. It's learning the technical aspects of the lift. So... Um, again, so case by case, but for a more advanced athlete, um, instead of looking forward and, and learning, you start to implement uh, key periods in the year where, um, let's say they have a competition in March, they have a competition in May, maybe another one in the summer, but their focused peak event is in November. So you implement a plan that has, um, again, proper periodization and, and learning and strength and skills and, and effort allocation. Um, towards their personal objectives um, and, you know, eventual goal of peaking later that year. So with each athlete, it's unique because whether they're junior, masters, open age, um, club level or national level, everyone's going to have a slightly varying events calendar or personal objective calendar uh, per annual cycle. Um, you know, some people just do it recreational competitive uh, competition for fun every year. It's just kind of just doing it to do it. Some people need to actually have a progress plan where they're looking to gain uh, for particular qualifying standards and moving on to higher levels and competitions. So all of that factors in as to how you, we as coaches allocate effort um, to, to match the athlete's needs, I guess, depending on what they are, whether it's strength, technique, flexibility, so on and so forth uh, to match their, their plan, their annual plan. Okay. So as far as athletes needs go and um, on the topic of, doing these drills and breaking down the the lifts into their separate components. Um, there's probably some drills that lend themselves more to things like a learning position, B creating stability in that position, C creating speed through maybe the transition. And maybe we'll just throw in the last one here of um, overloading the movement that particular component. So things like doing heavy high pulls so that when you go into your snatch, um, you're kind of prepared for that weight, at least in the explosive phase leading up to, uh, the pull under, for example. Um, so is, do you think that's true? Do you think some movements or, uh, uh, components lend themselves better towards working for speed or working for overloading or whatever? Absolutely. Um, again, when you're developing an athlete, you're starting up with a relatively wide variety of exercises or drills. And then you scale it down towards more specialized type of training. And that's how the peaking for the, uh, for the competitive events happen. Um, which uh, drills you would use would depend, again, on the developmental stage of the athlete. With the advanced or elite athlete, you'll have to do heavy pulls even twice a day to overload or provide strong enough stimuli for the next progression. So your objective as a coach is to allow the athlete to train at the threshold of their capacity without neither undertraining them nor overtraining them. So they should be slightly overloaded, but not overtrained. It's a very complex process, but if you can maintain that process for several years, you're going to take the athlete quite far, actually, in reaching their max potential. 
Rafs, what, what's your experience as an athlete with this type of programming and having to go through some of these? Yeah, I mean, again, it's uh, session by session. You kind of walk in and, and you, you understand um, the, the kind of purpose and objective of that training session. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting is, again, Olympic weightlifting is such a multi-skill, multi-joint sport that everything needs to be in fine balance. Otherwise, something is going to be dragging your progress back. And you can utilize um, a wide variety of exercises um, not only to accomplish different focus points such as strength with pulls or squats, speed with more power-based cleans and snatches, um, hang lifts, that kind of thing, flexibility by practicing overhead squats and, and you know doing full snatches, that kind of uh, exercise selection. But within those exercises, you can also play around with volumes and intensities. And that's where I think um, more important than the actual exercise selection themselves is uh, what kind of... Uh, what kind of weights you're working with and how many repetitions you're working with. Um, you know, a power snatch can both be a strength exercise if I'm doing 90% for a single, or it can be a speed exercise if I'm doing 60% for four or five reps. Uh, depends on what my focus is for that, uh, you know, that training session. Same thing with pulls. Uh, pulls can be purely strength-based to mimic technical lift where you're doing, you know, 90, 100, 110% of your snatch load for three repetitions or so. Or you can take it down to 80% and have it more of a technical, mechanical exercise where you're maybe slowing it down, doing timed uh, snatch pulls, focusing on positioning. So you're stopping at the shin, stopping at the knees, stopping at the quads, stopping in your extension. So again, different variations, different load, loading intensities um, and volumes as well can make a huge impact as to what specifically um, you're focusing on session to session. And I mean, my experience is just that, you know, I see power snatch on my program or I see snatch on my program on Monday. Um, but the loading scheme for it is completely different than maybe snatch on Wednesday or Friday again. Same exercise, but completely different uh, objective of that exercise being utilized in a particular training session. So it uh, keeps diversity for the athlete, but it also allows a multi-skill development. Um, and then again, that's crucial for that uh, that planning, the phases that you're in. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's just, uh, you know, one of the most important things that I, I continue to, to work with our athletes is confidence and positive uh, experience. You know, we work within loading zones where um, we're not only developing psychological or sorry, uh, physical and technical skills, but the psychological ones as well, um, where you want athletes leaving the training sessions feeling accomplished and not, you know, having missed 50 percent of their lifts that they attempted that session. Um, so, you know, a lot of different uh, things, but we, we tend to uh, play around with both exercise selection and diversity volumes and intensities to really target uh, whatever the objective might be for the group or athlete. Merrick, anything to add to that? As you're, uh, now you were an athlete some time ago as well. And uh, maybe from your perspective, what was it like going into different training sessions and having to go through overloading phases and things like that? Weightlifting in a nutshell is a repetitive sport. So without the variety of movements and uh, modifying combinations of the exercises, you would basically bore yourself to death. So, yeah, you are tired at the end of the day, but uh, you can be very satisfied with what you accomplished. And Raf had a good point that the same exercise can have several different objectives based on the loading that you apply. So I had a chance to lift the 
eight, nine, ten times a week frequently in the main elite training that I performed. And uh, yeah, it's very intense, but uh, you're kind of targeting the skills on the on the need basis, so case by case in that at that level. Mm-hmm. But the objective is to maximize your performance basically in the particular lift. So in one session you could have uh, as a novice athlete power snatch, power clean, a little bit of pulls or presses and squats. In the elite training you could have power snatch, snatch and snatch pulls. Three exercises targeting the same muscle group and the same position. But that's what you need to provide that uh, overloading principle into the training. What do you guys have an athlete do to improve their extension? I know this is a broad question, but what, yeah, what, okay. how would you approach <laughs> that? If you're seeing that an athlete's not opening up through the hips all the way? Yeah, we'll break down the lift where we find the positioning. We try to combine them and implement as many simplified drills as we possibly can. So it could be as simple as vertical jumps without the weight or jumps with the barbell or uh, the good mornings in a slow or, if that's proficient, in a dynamic fashion. Pulling is a big thing, of course, and then we can do the snatches from the uh, knee position from the half quad position or even from the hips to target that particular hip rotation that we mm-hmm. require. So it is a, again, multi phase, uh, uh, numerous drill implementation. Well, I'm glad you I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up just the vertical jumping because that's actually what I was kind of hinting at um, because I, that's one thing that I'll do in uh, training some of my people as well is um, if we're you know they're just starting to learn the swing and uh, sometimes I have a f- these clients who just don't stand up all the way because they're just overly concerned with the fact they have a weight in their hands and they're swinging it in front of them that they forget that they're supposed to stand up all the way. And so I have them set the bell down. I just have them f- do a few vertical jumps. And then we go back to trying the swings. And lo and behold, they start coming up all the way. Um, do you think that something as simple as a vertical jump and and you know, something that potentially not even resembling all that much the extension phase necessarily of an Olympic lift or a kettlebell swing. Do you think that's comparable in efficacy to just practicing um, high pulls and stuff like that? Is that is that definitely dependent on the athlete or what's what do you think? Is, is there a hierarchy there? I, I think, again, it's just another tool in the arsenal um, where one athlete might react and uh, and be responsive to doing vertical jumps to solve the issue. Another athlete, it might not make a single bit of difference for them. They might need something else as a cue. Uh, they might need to practice uh, again, something from the half hang. Uh, th- there's various reasons why an extension, I guess, uh, isn't happening for an athlete. Some it could be strength, some it could be flexibility. Um, some could be discomfort, um, grip, you know, there's various reasons as to what could be going on. And, uh, you know, hopefully as a coach, you start to address, um, 
for that case by case individual what the issue could be and uh, communicate and practice in a way that they can respond to basically. And, uh, you know, you try a, a few different exercises because, you know, for something like an extension, there's obviously uh, a group of exercises that you would kind of go through uh, with that athlete to, to help develop that. Um, but there's no, I guess, go to exercise for, for everybody. Um, it's, you know, that's kind of the, the art of the coaching um, to be able to find it and adapt and, and deliver it in a way that the athlete can, uh, can it can click. So, and also you're using a set of drills. You're usually targeting not just one uh, critical component. You may do vertical jumps, but they may they may serve as a extension improvement. But they also serve as a dynamic power speed plyometric exercise as well. So you, you could have several benefits. I like vertical jumps. We use jumps with weights actually at the back quite often from a half squat, quarter squat positions. They're very effective for the physical and technical development. Yeah, the nice thing with Olympic weightlifting is, yeah, you know, the, the complexity of, of a lot of the exercises do have um, dual and, and, you know, triple benefits. Um, good morning done slowly helps strengthen lower back. Good morning done with a raise on toes or with a little bit of a speed component helps that extension. It might not be the go-to exercise for improving extension, but it has an element of that which will eventually uh, contribute to developing extension. So you have, you know, again, so many different exercises that uh, you diverse uh, and on a custom level apply to athletes that might have an issue with, with that. And uh, over time, um, you progress and you monitor whether that's, uh, that efficiency is being um, developed. So we've kind of discussed um, how there are multiple exercises you can do for any given issue. Let's kind of flip that around a bit. Raf, are there any exercises that you think do nothing for you? Um, no. I mean, again, it, it depends on the objective. Um, the exercises exist for a reason. Um, you know, one example we always joke around in, in the Olympic weightlifting gym is bench press, for example. Uh, bench press develops your, your pectoral muscles, which, again, have an impact on on your shoulder girdle and flexibility. So, you know, for someone who's being a power lifter, bench press is a very crucial exercise. Uh, for an Olympic weightlifter, it's not useless, but it's less used and beneficial for our sport. Um, we do throw it in for diversity's sake, but it's not an exercise that's important in our, our regular um, exercise selection. Um, so, you know, again, the, the body works as a whole unit. Uh, I, I think it's a good idea um, to practice, you know, a whole variety of exercises on our off training days where we're kind of active resting. Um, a lot of our athletes, uh, myself included, go to the gym and do some, you know, machine based exercises or dumbbell exercises, um, targeting the smaller and uh, less um I guess, targeted muscle groups than our typical training sessions. Um, but those aren't the bright priority or objective, you know, development. They're just there to support um, the main muscle groups that we do want to focus on for our serious uh, competitive weightlifters. So if you're going in, uh, you know, whether it's to the local gym or whether you're doing it at the end of a workout or, or whatnot, um, those other movements, whether they're performed with dumbbells or machines, are those also periodized in the sense that you're looking for a specific loading regime or is it just kind of you fly by the seat of your pants for the extra stuff? No, typically we um, include 
are supplementary exercises. So, you know, tricep, bicep, uh, uh, any extra shoulder work or core work, anything like that. We implement them into our cool down and our warm up basically um, at reduced intensities because those uh, phases of the training are not to, um, meant to, you know, empty your tank per se, but uh, just again to help um, target those supporting muscles um, in a more um, kind of bring the heart rate down or bring the heart rate up kind of way, um, but allow us to conserve energy for the main targeted lifts that we do in a particular training session. Or again, um, things like light cardio or whatever, not specifically beneficial for our sport. Um, you know, people do it for various reasons. Uh, whether it be weight management or just recreational um, or just system targeting on off days um, in very light intensities, just to mix it up. And again, keep that diversity. I think that's, that's an important factor of Olympic weightlifting training. Um, you don't want to have every single session snatch between injured back squats. Um, you have to mix it up, um, break, break down those exercises, but also throwing in warm-ups and cool-downs full of those um, supplementing or auxiliary exercises that can target the smaller area groups that are good for overall health um, and do support the core muscles that we use. How many cardio sessions are you getting in these days, Raf? Um, not many. <laughs> um, I'm, no, just bust, you know, I'm just uh, busting your balls. Yeah, it's... A, I don't enjoy it, but uh, <laughs> I don't oppose to it either. I mean, you know, it's if I, I do it recreationally. I don't go out of my way and have a cardio session, mm. but I will ride a bike for 10 minutes. Uh, you know, we went paddling on the kayak for a couple hours, but it's just totally recreational. Um, I would never do it uh, with a specific um, workout or burn in mind. Uh, it targets a different system, aerobic versus anaerobic, and those are, you know, in, 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 at a high level fast twitch muscle contraction and not uh more of a you know maintain endurance based mm -hmm. so basically we are in in weightlifting we're interested in developing power endurance so you want to sustain the effort for hour and a half two hour workout which sometimes stretches even to two and a half hours but then you're working with intervals so power endurance is very important, but the pure endurance, long distance type, uh, high high rate maintenance, it's not our major objective, different skill. Mm -hmm. Actually, on that point, it's, 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 it's interesting because I've, I've mentioned this uh, on occasion to some of, say, just like my basic... Um, personal training clients who maybe have trained predominantly endurance for the, for most of their life. And then I try to explain to them, you know, when you work out heavy for an hour to two hours and you're doing say a heavy triple, and then you sit down for a minute or two minutes and then you do another heavy triple. Oftentimes, particularly if it's Olympic weightlifting, you're getting your heart rate up to 150, 160 depending on the per person, maybe even above, and then it's coming back down and you're getting those spikes. And so when you actually look at that as though you were to track it with a heart rate monitor, it looks a lot like an interval training session is what it looks like. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and you know, whereas, uh, if you look at the average, again, effort between endurance athletes and, and like Olympic weightlifters, for example, um, we'll have way higher peaks and way lower valleys, whereas theirs will be more of a flat line across. Uh, you know, if you're going for a jog, you're basically maintaining a pace, a speed for half an hour. We're maximizing effort into short intervals. 
Um, but at the end of the day, you know, me, whether I go for a 30 minute run or whether I do, you know, 80, 90% snatches and clean and jerks, uh, I'm personally fatigued. Uh, I'm full of sweat and, uh, the effort is still uh, being exerted. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think we can all agree that in general technique comes first without me having to say what an alternative is technique kind of comes first. Um, now if technique comes first and intensity comes second, do you ever find that maybe that's kind of at odds sometimes with the best way to teach an individual? So like going back to those vertical jumps, Mirik uh, remarked that, well, vertical jumps can be good for teaching extension, but they're also good for reinforcing the dynamic, um, explosiveness. So if someone's lacking explosiveness, we might have them work on the intensity per se to help carry over into developing the technique as opposed to the other way around. Do you think that that idea exists? Is that, does that hold true? No, yeah, you know, the thing is though that uh, you want the athlete again to work at the threshold level. So technique comes first, it's no doubt, but it has to be combined and uh, intertwined with the physical development as well. Because uh, whether it's a 14, 18 or 25 years old person, we want to challenge them. And the challenge could be a different uh, level because they're not at the same uh, developmental stage at the age of 15 as they are at the age of 25. But we cannot under-train them physically either. So my objective is to assess the athlete and try to apply the loading that they are training again at the threshold level. At the same time, the technique might be priority, but it doesn't exist alone. That being said, let me just ask you this question. Uh, slow or fast off the floor so right from leaving the floor with the barbell neither is it slow, slow or fast, fast. neither no, slow nor fast slow okay fast, regular in between so i think but ripping up the weight of the floor is not a good strategy i'd rather have someone to go slightly slower than too aggressive okay the main part of the lift doesn't happen right off the floor again when you break down the lift into different phases the phases are broken down based on the muscular contraction so I'm lifting my hips off the floor. I'm basically extending the quad. If I aggressively engage the quad at this stage, the quad will not contract in the next fraction of the second when I need it to powerfully contribute to the main part of the lift. Okay, so again, the multi-joint action is uh, quite complex. Mm-hmm. I have had a lot of help thinking about it as um, a consistent acceleration off the floor as opposed to pulling right off or necessarily going slow until you hit the knee and then doing that weird kind of scoop bump thing that some people get stuck in the rut of doing. Um, so I try to have a consistent pull that gradually increases in speed off the floor. Um, because going into Olympic weightlifting, I always thought you look at it and it's, it happens so fast. You're like, well, you must be trying to pull it off the floor as fast as you can. And, and that turned out not to be the case. Had a lot of right. issues with so the bar coming way out in front of me. Right. So you got a good point. When you start the weight of the floor, when the bar separates from the floor, you start to build up the speed or velocity of the bar. Once you're passing the knees, it's a little bit of a shallow dip. So 
the speed diminishes. Once the bar is past the knees, you engage the lower back, the calves, the shrug, all simultaneously to create the explosive action, which increases that uh, speed to maximum. And that's the main part of the lift. So if you look at the graphical projection of the lift, you would have an increase, a little shallow slowdown, and the graph would go as far as you can take it. As a coach, I'm never happy with the speed of the barbell leaving the quads or the hips. I want that action. If it's even very fast, I want it faster, always faster. That's what creates the velocity and the barbell. I, you like tempo uh, to be able to match the control through each phase. Um, the first phase, the first pull, we definitely um, don't want to be you know, going snail pace through that action, but uh, we also don't want to be... Um, over aggressive where we're activating you know our muscle groups in the arms uh, where we're you know almost preemptively activating our hips and back extension um, because typically when you see athletes yanking the bar off the ground you know the back uh, angle changes the arms are activated they get a little bit of tension in their arms um, and those are inefficient movements i mean there's a lot of people that adapt and and do almost perfect that inefficient movement and have a lot of success at that level um, but you're looking at the biomechanics of the sport you want to control the movements to be able to optimize the the key joints and, and muscle groups at particular phases uh, in the pulling cycle um, so yeah, the way we teach it is to um, work at a speed that allows you to control and maintain the position. For more advanced athletes, that could be faster. For newer athletes, uh, again, there's exercises and different things to allow us to control that tempo and, and observe that tempo to make sure that proper joints and muscles are firing at the right time. So um, yeah, it's it's over aggressive, right? At the, for, especially for newer lifters, is a bit of a, a riskier approach to technique development tends to end, uh, end up in more errors. The bar path deviates a lot more because the aggression and speed is too much uh, at, the, at the outset. Like right off the floor? Exactly. Um, a lot of the lifters at Herc remark about how fast you are in your lifts. Not necessarily right off the floor, but I mean the lift itself, going from the bottom to the top and your extension and getting under the bar. Um, is that more because you're a, a more seasoned athlete or... Um, do you think it's because maybe you have some better flexibility than some of the other guys in terms of that bottom position or what do you, why, why do you think that is? You know, again, um, or do you, th do you think you operate with the kind of baseline requisite speed for a lifter, your level? Well, the, th the thing is, you know, athletes at the Nanaimo Club are observing me now, um, and I've been developing every facet of Olympic weightlifting skills for nearly 30 years. So um, if you look back at the beginning of my career, there was, I had my own goals and objectives, and I didn't look like the way I look now as far as my technical abilities or flexibility or strength in positions or speed or any of that. Um, I developed it just like the next guy. And um, I had serious deficiencies in, in positioning, uh, lower back uh, strength, shoulder strength. Um, I had injuries due to volleyball career. Um, I had hips and twisting and all sorts of different stuff that went wrong with my lifting over the years. 
Um, but again, you know, 30 years of reps and refinement and focusing on weaknesses and, and trying to bring up that bar at a equal level um, kind of brought me to where I am today. Um, it's all like all, all of the above is developed at a decent level um, because of, yeah, it's, it's all been targeted uh, in one way or another. So, um, I, I mean, I to, to, can't really say it other, any other way than I worked to have it look like the way it is, and uh, and anyone can do the same thing. And do you, um, do you have memories of watching your father lift and saying, "I could never lift like that. I will never be that fast. I will never be able to put that much weight over my head." Yeah, you know what? Up until uh, probably the age twenty, um, again, that by that point in time, I had spent fifteen years in the gym, and whether it was watching uh, Mirik, his teammates, or following our move to Canada. Um, growing up and being part of the Team Manitoba Provincial Team program where we had some pretty successful lifters uh, at the national level. And, um, you know, they were lifting tremendous weights and I was just a little kid. And I just remember, like, in awe because here I am trying to lift 20 kilos off the ground and these guys are lifting, you know, 180, 190 kilos over their heads uh, and they're fast and they're flexible and they're strong. Um, it's like, yeah, yeah. At that point in time, you're like, wow, that's never going to be possible. But you take those baby steps. Your goals are, you know, small increments and you keep making them. And, uh, 10 years later, you make 10 kilo jumps every year. You're right there with them. And, um, yeah, so it, it definitely was. I remember watching people and be like, wow, like th that's just amazing. And, uh, you know, 15 years later when I broke their records, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, the work pays off for them just like it did for me. So. Merrick, do you have any memories of learning uh, how to lift and kind of thinking to yourself, I don't know if I can do this. This might not be possible. Uh, you know what? I have lots of memories, actually. I, I almost remember every moment of my career. But uh, my, my most memorable, memorable moments are when I was stubborn in making mistakes. I refused to accept the obvious. I always wanted more, heavier, and bigger, which, like Raf said, the baby steps uh, and steady progression always win. But over the years, I learned, I accepted, and uh, I entered into more advanced training, daily training. My objective was to become a professional weightlifter, which I did. So, yeah, the the journey was uh, was very intense, but uh, also full full of learning. I had the luxury to attend the sport university at the same time when all the anatomy, physiology, psychology, all that, you know, biomechanical components were taught to us and they were eye-openers. Have I took that knowledge easily? At some points I did, some I didn't. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so <coughs> this is good. I'm enjoying this. We're getting a little bit of history here. Um, one question I have, Merrick, back when you were training, um, as an amateur athlete, uh, moving into, uh, Olympic level lifting, um, the training that you were doing at the time, uh, and the, the, the progressions that you were following, is there a big difference from the training that you were doing back then to the training that you're implementing in your clubs today? Has there been much of an evolution there? Yes, there has been. Yeah. If you analyze the training programs and the progression or the sports overall, you can within a decade you can see substantial differences. 
When I came into the sport in 1974, we were just past the stage when they eliminated the press event, which was uh, one of the biggest changes in the sport of weightlifting. Whereas uh, the older people in the gym still love to press, kettlebell, any type of shoulder arm work, we were shying away from that. So that's one of the substantial changes in the sport. Then in the 80s, the sport started to progress into more dynamic type of lifting. And 90s really truly emphasized that the speed and power component in weightlifting. Now, as you go into the year 2000, 2010, the strength came back, but the strength came back to support the dynamic type of lifting, not just as a strength component of the lifting. So that contributed to the further progression in the results. And uh, because of that, the trainings become uh, shorter and more frequent. There were people that trained three times a day for one hour or hour and a half in the afternoon or so. So the sport is constantly evolving. There hasn't been a lot of new research done, per se, on the quality of the muscle or neuromuscular contraction and psychology in the sport. But this from the practical point of view, the practitioners are advancing the sport uh, constantly. So all those changes that you just spoke of, those were instituted mainly by um, some of the Olympic coaches at the time? Uh, we had a sport institute with researchers actually attached to our program. But at that time, it was the basic biomechanics, the psychology, the uh, lung capacity, the joint uh, growth, that type of research which were, like I said, eye-openers. They contributed a lot. They gave us a lot of info, but they not necessarily by itself influenced the type of program. The type of program, the program was influenced by, in my case, the post-press era, we were told not to jump. I naturally wanted to jump. Why? Because I was pulling the barbell faster and going under the barbell in a more dynamic, more efficient way. So we did rebel as a new generation. Now, there was the time when we had the influx of some track and field athletes into the gym. They like to do the vertical extension we were talking about or lunges and uh, half-squat jumps with barbells. We watched, we adapted, we tried, and one of the key exercises in my strength development right now on top of the regular back squat is a half-squat jump with weight. So as a practitioner, I adapted those tools to my advantage. Is the extension in Olympic weightlifting a jump? Is it a jump? Uh, in a sense, yes. You are leaving actually the ground. You're completely clear of the ground. So you're fully extended. The bar is moving up and your body is launched up in the air. Yes. And is, is that how the athletes should think of it? Because I feel like up until lately anyway, um, I've always just tried to think of it as a controlled but as dynamic as as possible extension effort without necessarily having the intent of trying to leave the ground. Do you think that has limited me then possibly in maximizing that extension? Or do you think that in general limits the extension um, component? Well, if you execute the extension properly, you're going to be moving the bar so fast that the body will naturally extend and it will leave the ground, whether you actually want it or not. 
if you slow down the pulling, not to lose the control per se of that movement, you're not going to reach the top flight of the barbell, so you will compromise the pulling. And there are some actually thought in weightlifting that high jump is uh, impairing how you efficiently drop under the barbell. It creates a longer pathway. In my view, the purposeful high jump may, but the jump, direct jump on the platform by leaving the platform completely will be so fast that we actually allow you within that short period of time efficiently to go under the barbells. You are not impaired by jumping. I do like jumping and I do emphasize uh, strong jumps in my teachings. Okay. Um, do you guys remember back uh, to a time when it wasn't permitted for the bar to touch the thighs on the way up? It's remarked in that book, Explosive Lifting for Sports, that um, in the Olympics, there was a time where the rules did not allow, and this may have been like a long time ago, I'm not sure exactly how long ago this was, where the bar wasn't actually allowed to touch the thighs on the way up. I don't think that's the case, though. I've never heard of <laughs> no. that, tell you the truth. And I did study the sport history and weightlifting in particular in detail, so I can't really recall ever okay. reading that. There could be a case where the bar is not allowed to slow down or pause at the ties, because that may be considered a double movement. Mm. But touching the thighs, unless we're talking about the ancient Greek warriors lifting weights, I don't think in a modern weightlifting that was applied. <laughs> I think this may even back as back as far long ago as a time when maybe they actually allowed the knee to touch the floor and then stand up with the weight. I don't know. There are right, some right. back you know, when they were figuring stuff out. Right. Speaking of those tricks, there were cases where people applied oils on the quads to accelerate the barbell movement when they are touching. And that goes back to 60s and 70s. Does that work? And it did work. (laughs) But obviously the judges caught to that and the next guy had an oily bar on the chest, which was not permitted or not, not really beneficial. And they started to... Uh, go after those people, they would still apply the oil and mask it with the uh, chalk. Right. So it wasn't as shiny and visible. So Wouldn't that just make really... it into a paste? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you were after the lift, a successful lift already. So, <laughs> yeah, those are the psychologically funny years, though. Okay. Let me ask one more thing. Um, and this might even be a more talked about um, aspect of weightlifting style is to bump or not to bump. And so what do you mean by bumping it? Okay. So when you get to the point of the bar coming up to, I guess, high hang and some athletes may actively push the bar forward with their hips to initiate the, it going further upward. You know, the, the ideal bar pathway Biomechanically or mechanically would be a straight lift from the floor overhead. Straight lift is not really possible, mm-hmm. but the least deviations that you're going to have, the better off you are. And uh, you mentioned Russians, actually. Soviets were, were always very particular and big on researching and analyzing the movements. 
the whole foundation of uh, technical biomechanical research comes from Soviets, and they do not, they do not want the bar to deviate from a straight line a lot. So if you're pulling the bar of the floor in a starting position, the bar will slightly deviate towards your shins in the values of uh, three, four centimeters, ideally. Then you're getting the bar in a high hang, you're pulling with the hips, the bar will move forward very slightly. The values would be probably within four or six centimeters. And that's ideal. The top lifters, they are able to perform that. The less efficient lifters will have higher deviations, but the forces are directed not upward, but uh, forward. So you're losing on that uh, mechanical advantage. Uh, again, Raf had a point uh, earlier that uh, you, the body will adapt to just about anything. You may master the bumping and you may feel like you're contributing to the pull. You generate a lot of power and energy, but unfortunately it's directing the wrong direction. It's not beneficial for you. So we use, we use quite, a range, quite a wide range of drills with a short pulling, with the pulls, with the power snatches from the hangs and half hangs to eliminate the excessive swinging. Uh, I think that Klokov is actually known for doing a f uh, some kind of a bump um, that maybe not other lifters tend to do. And um, now maybe that's the reason why he got the silver medal instead of the gold. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> obviously he's known for being quite an accomplished lifter. But um, yeah, I suppose if you guys don't aren't really you know know about that whole discussion, then can't really elaborate on it that much but no, no, i will i will i'll i'll send you uh some video and then maybe we can uh you know follow but up on know, that at some point absolutely when you analyze the world champion or world record uh, lift you may not see the uh, ideal technically executed lift why those people do just about what they need to do to perform that lift so, because they are at the master stage, they can get away with certain wrongs within the lifts because they exactly know the body positioning, they know exactly mm -hmm. where the bar is moving and how fast it is moving. So, but said that, that is not the way we want to teach weightlifting. And I don't believe that's the way uh, the efficiency goes. I feel like that's such a uh, crucial... Um, technical component to change though i feel like that would affect the numbers so much but obviously cloak off it, it, it might just be the case that his strength makes up for it because he is a very strong guy you can tell he's a very muscularly strong guy uh, and also powerfully strong obviously he's accomplished olympic weightlifter do you think maybe that's the reason why he can get away with it example whether strength uh and pure power um, and sacrifice of bar path or technical um, components to, to do it. He's he's gotten extremely good at it. He's gotten extremely successful in performing it the way he does. Um, you know, again, if he probably if he perfected uh, uh, the technique that more applied to a bar path that was straight, less of deviations to his capacity, and he practiced it that way for ten years. He'd probably still be as successful as he is now more so successful it's hard to say but I, you know again uh, if, if you have an athlete uh, at any level 
get good at it, and they're going to get better and better and better at it. Whether it's right or wrong, they'll continue to make strides forward. Um, you know, a lot of lifters um, that are, you know, again, at, in Canada, for example, or any country, they're not quite at the elite level, but they're, you know, striving to get there. Um, you know, we often watch a lot of um, amateur and, and novice level weightlifting, and you see people improving. They're still improving because these people are still training. If you train, you're going to get stronger. Um, you're not necessarily going to reach your maximum capacity or potential because of the style or, or training that you're doing, but you're still training. You're still going to improve somewhat. Um, and same applies to the highest level athletes. You know, they, again, become masters of doing it their way. Um, and there's obviously outliers and people who can just have the worst technique out there and still be world champions. Um, but, you know, again, if they do it scientifically, uh, biomechanically perfect, they might have been even more stronger and bigger world champions than they were. So I guess it's all relative. Um, you know, you are, are there really a lot of differences with- in technique? Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of difference in body types. Everyone's going to adapt their own personal style, and especially at the Olympic stage, you see that uh, at its finest, where people are um, playing to their maximum potential of, of their individual um, physiological build. Um, same as someone like myself. I mean, I'm six four weightlifter. You don't see that, uh, you know, at my weight and at the international level because it's again, it's inefficient. I've done it my way, but it's not the best way. Um, you know, how I done other things i probably could have had a higher ceiling myself as well so you strive to again be as close as possible to the scientific um and everyone's going to adapt their own style uh to that as well okay well i appreciate you guys filling me in on uh oh go ahead no, no, well, we okay. got a final comment. No, just yeah. a final comment on the technical point. Okay. <laughs> As a coach, I'd like someone to learn the base technique based on the scientific uh, research, then master those movements, and then hopefully in an advanced elite stage, develop individual style, which would benefit you the most uh, that you possibly can achieve. So is that reflected in your coaching in the sense of you try to be as rigid as possible with adhering to a set uh, group of rules at the start and then you kind of let them blossom into their own natural development type thing? Precisely. Evolve. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Again, you know, you're dealing with variants in body types and people have and, you know, most people will have um, pure like priority characteristics or skills that, that, you know, whether it's strength or flexibility or speed, um, certain individuals be really, um, ahead in the development of one over the other. And at some point in the road and training, when they've got the core competency, proficiency and mastery of, of the base set of rules, those will then, um, be slightly modified to allow the athlete to succeed based on their, um, potential and, and skill set. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I appreciate you guys spending this last hour and four minutes with me. Uh, I do appreciate it. Um, I appreciate every time uh, people as 
decorated and experienced as you uh, take the time to speak with me and and share some information with my listeners. So um, that's awesome. Thanks a lot. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime and we'll cover some other topics. It is our pleasure, Solomon. Thank you very much. Thank you. And good luck. Thank you. Right on. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye.